Good morning. It's been a while since I've been here, and uh, it's a real privilege. My name is David Langford, and I'm an elder here at uh, MCC. And um, what else? Nothing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you remember uh, last week, Pastor Lee spoke, and um, he spoke about the Great Commission, the, the, the importance of discipling, making disciples. And he said that that was the beginning of a three-part series that he would lead. And he didn't explain that in that three-part series, there's also a sub-series uh, and I have a two-part series, okay? We didn't really plan it that way, but it fits perfectly. You know, I'll be speaking today on what are spiritual gifts? You know, what is the meaning of a spiritual gift? What is the role of a spiritual gift? And next week, we'll talk about how to discover your spiritual gift and to put it to use. Okay, you know, if... Uh, if we were in a seminar, you know, I would say, how many people know what your spiritual gift is? But we're not in a seminar. But uh, <laughs> uh, many Christians don't know what their spiritual gift is. And uh, others are in the process of discovering new gifts. And uh, it's actually a whole process of... You know, you discover what your gift is, and then you have to uh, develop it. Then you have to put it to use, uh, etc. Okay. <clears throat> Last week, when when Pastor Lee spoke about making disciples, you know, he pointed out that you know this is the responsibility that God has given to His church to make disciples of all peoples. And when you talk about spiritual gifts, as we'll see today, you know, it's actually talking about how to make disciples, how disciples are formed, how disciples are made. You know, it's one thing to, to preach the gospel, even have people accept Christ, but to develop that person into a fully functional, mature believer, you know, that's the process of discipling. And that's what spiritual gifts are about. We, um, I think I have a design up here for you. Uh, many churches function like this. I think that our church is not like this exactly. But uh, sometimes there's a degree to it. You know, we, um, <clears throat> the pastor's up front and he's pulling away like mad, and he's shouting to the people behind him, push harder! And uh, the people behind are saying, pastor, you're not pulling hard enough. And the problem is not the pastor or the people, the problem is the wheels. And uh, the round wheels are in the cart, and the square ones are in the cart. <laughs> you know, the wrong people are doing the right jobs. And uh, to get people who have the gifts for particular ministries in the right place functioning well, you know, has an incredible impact on, on the church. For one thing, 
people who know their gift and are using it are joyful. They realize that they're doing what they were made for. And um, <clears throat> there was a, a pastor, a German pastor by the name of Christian Schwarz. And uh, in the 1980s, he uh, went to California and studied in the School of Church Growth. I think he was there just a, a year or so. He was a man who had experience in, in uh, research methods. And he read and he, he said that there were hundreds of books written on church growth. You know, how you can grow your church. And he said that none of them were based on research. All of them were based on anecdotal. In other words, a pastor would work hard, he would do a good job, the church would grow, and he would say, he would sit down and write his book. And he said, this is what I did. And if you do the same, you know, it'll be good for your church too, is the implication. But the problem is, you know, Christian Schwartz says, how do you know that what works in California will work in the Congo? Uh, and, and so he launched actually a whole team of people doing an in-depth research of a thousand churches in 32 different countries. And uh, they were looking for what are the common elements in a healthy church, the common elements in a growing church. And if these elements are there, the church will grow. And uh, after all of this research, they came up with eight quality elements. And I won't go through all of these, but one of the quality elements was churches that are healthy, churches that are growing, uh, believe in gift-oriented ministry. They do ministry according to the gifts of the Spirit that, that God has given to his people. <clears throat> what is the role of spiritual gifts in the life of the church? We want to begin by talking about you know, what, you know, what are spiritual gifts and you know, what is the role of, of spiritual gifts? How does it function? Uh, in uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, this is what Luke says. He says, in the, in the first book, O Theophilus, that was in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. You notice what, how he says it. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is, now I'm going to tell you what Jesus continued to do and teach. And as you look at the, the, at the, the book of Acts, which he writes, how the, the gospel spread and the church grew, um, <clears throat> you can call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, or you can call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or you can call the book of Acts the Acts of the risen Christ who continued to do and to teach through his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, 
the Holy Spirit has been given to us in order to continue the ministry of Christ on earth. Christ went back to heaven and he sent us his Holy Spirit to enable us to continue his ministry. Okay, uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 16 gives us sort of a theology, a, a philosophy of ministry. And uh, we don't have the time to go into all of it, but the, the theme of this passage is unity. You know, Paul says, do everything you can to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And he starts by saying, you know, you have grounds for unity. You have one father, you have one Lord, you have one baptism, you have one faith. And then he goes on and he talks about spiritual gifts. And he says uh, in verse 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace. And in that passage, as you look at the whole passage, grace is referring to gifts, spiritual gifts. And uh, what this passage teaches us is that every Christian has been given at least one or more spiritual gift. But grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then... He goes on to explain that there are certain core gifts that are designed to help the church. And in verses 11 and 12, he says, And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so, <clears throat> God has given to his church certain particular gifts, like the apostles who sort of launched the whole movement, and the evangelists who spread the gospel, and prophets, and teachers, and pastors, uh, all to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, in the past, and even today in many churches, they believe that it's the pastor who does the ministry. You know, this is, a, you know, and there are churches where the pastor does it, sort of everything. Probably small churches. But, uh, you know, he preaches and he has to you know, take care of the finances and he does the counseling and he does the visiting and he does, you know. But this, you know, this passage says that no, these core gifts are designed to help equip the saints who in turn do the work of the ministry. So uh, <clears throat> uh, Rick Warren at Saddleback, he says that when people ask him, how many ministers do you have? Uh, you, if, I don't know if you know Saddleback, but they have thousands of people that come there. He says, we have thousands of ministers. And that's what this passage is saying, that every Christian is a minister. And um, <clears throat> then Paul goes on in this passage uh, to say that the gifts are given to serve others in the body of Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and in deceitful uh, schemes. In other words, <clears throat> you know, Paul, he has started by saying, you know, do everything you can to maintain unity. And then he goes on to say, you have a foundation for unity. You, know, you have one Father, one Lord, one Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to introduce the concept of gifts. And he says, to every Christian, God has given at least one spiritual gift. And he's given certain gifts, like pastors and teachers and so on, to equip the saints, the believers, to do the work of the ministry. So it's the believers that do the work of the ministry. Okay? <clears throat> and what is the goal of all of this? He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So here's sort of an ultimate kind of unity. It's not just the grounds for unity, but as we understand and grow, he talks about to a mature manhood or mature faith. In other words, God's goal is that we as believers grow and become disciples that are mature in Christ. And... Um, <clears throat> It's when, you know, uh, Rick Warren, he says, uh, when, when, when people ask him, you know, what is your goal? He says, my goal is, uh, <laughs> okay, and, and I've got a good voice, okay, and so, <clears throat> Rick Warren says that his goal for Saddleback uh, Church is that it be the most mature. Now, I think that's a wonderful goal. And I think that we should make our goal at MCC to be the most mature church in New Jersey, if not in all of America. Okay? <laughs> <clears throat> so, and then he goes on, and he talks about that the, the, the church might grow in love one for another, and strengthening and building itself up. You know, there's this, this in, incredible element of love which is in the, the use of gifts, uh, which is so important. It's as if, you know, when every part is functioning properly, love is the, is the oil that makes it all run well. If you look at uh, the New Testament, there, there are three passages that deal mostly with gifts. There's uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4 here. There's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And there's Romans 12. Okay, so the longest passage on gifts is Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Okay, and if you look at it carefully, 
You know, he goes into a lot of details about gifts in chapter 12, a lot of details about gifts in chapter 14, and chapter 13 is right in the middle, and it's a love chapter. And most people use that for weddings, okay? But it's actually applied for gifts, how we use our spiritual gifts, because it's so easy if you have a spiritual gift to get proud about it or to think that this is the most important gift, uh, and to serve one another. The whole idea of, of God in, in the church is to help us serve one another in love. You know, I, I need your spiritual gifts to help me grow properly and to become a disciple of Jesus. And you need my spiritual gifts to help you grow properly uh, in, in discipleship. And so, <clears throat> you see... This is, this is how God is making disciples. Um, you know, there's, there's sort of two models for learning. The West has basically opted for the model of the classroom. We have kindergarten, and we have primary school, and we have secondary school, and we have university, and we have classes. Even in the church, we have courses, right? And we think that if we want to really train somebody to be a disciple, you know, bring them to a class. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't say to the 12, you know, come to my house every Monday morning for two hours and we'll make you disciples. No. The other way of training is what we call socialization. You know, in anthropology, they call this socialization, where a person grows up in the culture and he learns everything by watching and hearing. And so, you know, my wife and I, uh, we lived in a village for, for one year, and we had two children. One was three, and one was three months. And uh, the one that was three you know, started speaking the tribal language of Kilendu just like a little Kilendu kid. And <laughs> she even dreamed in Kilendu. And you know, the, the, three, the, the three-month-old, if we, his name is Nathan, if we had said to one of the families in this village, you take Nathan and you be his adopted parents, and you raise him, and he will stay with you, and he will grow up uh, in your house. Today, Nathan would be a Hema. He would be totally Hema because he grew up in socialization. And you see, this is how we make disciples, according to the Bible and according to Jesus. Jesus invited his disciples to be with him for three years. And they saw him, and they heard him, and they were given assignments, and they did them. And they were discipled, you know, in three years. Incredible. And then they got the Holy Spirit to enable them. So... Um, <clears throat> Looks like this problem isn't being solved very quickly, right? <laughs> but uh, if you're up to it, I'm up to it. <clears throat> okay, so let's move on to, you know, this is, this is sort of the function or the role of, of spiritual gifts. 
Christ was taken up to heaven, but he leaves his body here below to continue his ministry on earth, and he equips us to fulfill this ministry by his Holy Spirit. Okay? Jesus, uh, Jesus, when he was baptized, he received the Holy Spirit. And for three years, he ministered to people. And we can say Jesus had all of the spiritual gifts to perfection. You know, he was the greatest teacher in history. Uh, he knew how to heal people that were sick. You know, he knew how to do evangelism, to fit the person and their particular needs. You know, he was the perfect minister. Now he goes to heaven, and he, on the day of Pentecost, which we sort of celebrated a week ago, uh, sent the Holy Spirit. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to equip us for ministry, to develop and help one another. And in this process, we are socializing and we are growing. And that's why you can't become a fully developed, mature disciple of Christ through the internet or through, you know, the radio or television. You know, it's in community. And, you know, even here, you know, it's difficult. You know, modern culture has developed so that, you know, you leave here today and we don't see each other for a whole week. And how do you develop relationship there? And uh, one, of the, <clears throat> one of the men, uh, Tony, Anthony, uh, he says his, he wants to give, provide opportunity for men to get together. And so he, uh, he led us in a cookout, and we had something like 25 men. And it gave us a chance to start to get to know each other. But it's, you know, we ha sort of have to work against, because in, in our culture, you know, we're so divided and so separated. How can you develop relationship and how can you interact with each other and grow in the Christian life and become a fully developed uh, disciple of Jesus uh, when we rarely see each other, that kind of thing. So uh, that's what we're up against. So making disciples is Jesus' way is a holistic type of, of way. Okay? So, um, let me give you a definition of spiritual gifts. This is just one of probably many definitions. Spiritual gifts are specific abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer by grace for the well-being of the body of Christ. Let me read that again. Spiritual gifts are specific abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer by grace for the well-being of the body of Christ. <clears throat> so, God has given gifts to each believer, one or more gift to each believer, to help grow and develop the body of Christ. <clears throat> in, 
you know, we could say that the Holy Spirit gives to the children of God um, the gifts are the capacities which the Holy Spirit gives to the children of God to reproduce the ministry of Jesus here on earth in his absence. So, uh, this reminds me of an experience in the Congo that I had. In the middle of preaching, it started raining. It poured. And in Congo, all of the churches have metal roofs. And it was so loud, nobody could hear you. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, you can hear me, right? Okay, good. (laughs) Anyway, this is probably your first experience of a sermon in the dark, right? (laughs) Hopefully it brings light. Um, Now, this raises... This raises the question of, you know, are spiritual gifts natural or supernatural? You know, uh, like, I mean, there are certain gifts, like healing, which where God in a special way, you know, uses somebody to heal. Uh, or there's the gift of faith. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's, there's the gift of faith, and the whole idea is that God has given to some people the ability to pray in such a way that God does incredible things. Now, most of these gifts you know, are something that every Christian is responsible for. You know, we're responsible to pray. We're responsible to trust and have faith. We're responsible to share the gospel. We're responsible for just about every kind of ministry. But there are certain gifts or particular ways that God equips us to do, you know, uh, to do ministry. And the question is, you know, are spiritual gifts always supernatural or can they be natural? I would suggest to you that it sort of depends on what you mean by supernatural and natural. You know, I think that there, you know, I think that there are gifts that, you know, are out of the ordinary. They're, they're special. You know, there was, a, there was a preacher, an evangelist, that came to Congo. I never heard him, but my neighbor, he told me about him. He said that, you know, his, his friend had gone to hear Monsieur Le Grand, he's somebody from Belgium, and he preached and he he told me everything that this preacher had said. Yeah, he was eloquent. But later I discovered that actually this preacher stutters. If you talk to him one-on-one, he just stutters. He can't get anything out. But when he gets up to preach, he's eloquent, you know, I think that maybe that's a supernatural gift. Okay, on the other hand, you know, it seems that what makes a a gift a spiritual gift is that the Holy Spirit uses it to build his body. Okay, suppose a person, before they become a Christian, is a teacher, and he's really good at teaching. 
he knows how to, you know, to instruct and teach, and he's liked, and he's, he, he, he's just a good teacher, naturally. Now he becomes a believer, and he still teaches, and he's still effective, but now he has the Holy Spirit who uses him to build the body of Christ, and that's what makes it a spiritual gift. That's what I would suggest. I don't have a verse for that, but... The other question that I would like to raise, all of this is sort of an explanation about spiritual gifts. Um, How many spiritual gifts are there? If you count the the spiritual gifts that are referred to in the Bible, it comes to something like 20 or 22. But there's no one passage that claims to have the complete list. And so many theologians feel that all of these are partial lists and that there are actually more spiritual gifts. And I think that what helps us is that God is able to use any capacity and through his spirit, he's able to use it to build the body of Christ. Okay. um, Next week, we want to talk about how to discover and how to use your spiritual gifts. Um, You know, this is sort of a whole process. You know, and the question that I'll be asking next week and beginning to ask this week is, what is my next step? You know, I ask you that as you listen and as you digest, that you come to a conclusion of what is my next step in terms of spiritual gifts. The first step is becoming a disciple of Jesus. Uh, is accepting Christ because nobody who hasn't accepted Christ has a spiritual gift. And God wants to give you a spiritual gift and use this and make your life really worthwhile. Second step is discovering your spiritual gift. And there are different ways, and we'll talk about some of these ways. And actually, you know, in a seminar, you can do things that you can't do in a church service. Uh, I will talk about the ways of discovering a spiritual gift. The third step is developing your gift. Uh, you know, it's possible, you know, some of you know your kids who have a gift of music, you know, just little kids, or they have a gift of fixing things. You know, they have that ability, but you can't give them, you know, take them to, to a car that's broken down and say, fix this, because they have to develop that gift to the point where they can use it for complicated things. So there's the whole process of developing one's gift. If a person has sort of a natural ability to share the gospel and people accept Christ, well, he would do well to become uh, a mentee of somebody who's an evangelist or somebody who's really good at witnessing and spend time just watching and learning from him. So there's the process of developing your spiritual. Then there's the process of putting it to action. There are people that know their gift and uh, have developed it but aren't using it. And there's a whole, you know, area of how to, 
how to uh, find the place where I can apply and put into practice my spiritual gifts. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> with that, we'll quit. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening and uh, putting up with uh, the darkness and uh, the lack of noise. <laughs> but this will make it memorable, okay? <laughs> uh, let's close with prayer. I close this part with prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, uh, we thank you that you're God. And you control even the details of, of lights and sound. And uh, we thank you that we can reflect on the body of Christ and uh, how you set it up so that we could truly make disciples. And I pray that you would help each of us in discovering the role that you have for us. Uh, both in growing to be a mature disciple and in discovering where we fit and how we can be living stones that build your, your t a temple for, for, for worshiping you. Uh, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.